Uh, like I said before, if you uh, weren't here at the beginning, my name is Jeremy. I am one of the pastors here at the church. We are so glad that you're here. If you're a guest with us once again, uh, we're honored that you would spend um, a Sunday morning with us, especially during the season where it is a little bit um, awkward coming um, to church right now just because of all the, the precautions we're having to take. This morning, we're jumping back into our series, um, walking through the book of 1 Corinthians, and I'm really, really excited to be back in this book. In other words, uh, uh, we, we had strong reasons for starting this book back in January, not knowing that COVID would happen or any of this, and felt like we were in a good rhythm. I think we'd gone through about five or six weeks of, of the book, and then everything kind of came to a screeching halt, and we thought it was important enough that we wanted to just hit pause on it and give it as much time as possible, but we feel like we want to jump back into it now. So today, what we're going to do is we're going to do a little bit of a catch-up sermon on where we've been on really the first two and a half chapters of the book. And I'm going to highlight some different just passages, um, different directions that I think Paul's going with this. And then next week, um, we're going to pick back up exactly where we left off, and then we'll be in this book um, for the next several months at least. So here we go. I'm going to read First uh, Corinthians uh, chapter 1, verses 22 through 25. I think this is a good passage that really sums up what Paul has been talking about in the first couple of chapters of this book. 1 Corinthians chapter 1, 22 through 25. For Jews demand signs, and Greeks seek wisdom. But we preach Christ crucified, a stumbling block to Jews, and folly to Gentiles. But to those who are called, both Jews and Greeks, Christ the power of God, and the wisdom of God. For the foolishness of God is wiser than men, and the weakness of God is stronger than men. This is the word of the Lord. Let's pray. Father, as we say every week here, and we don't want to take it for granted, we're thankful for your word. We're thankful that you've inspired these words. This is your revelation to us. Um, this is not... Uh, my words that we read, or Providence Road's words that we read, but these are your words. And so when you speak, we have to, um, we have to listen, and we want to listen. We want to be able to be changed by your words. So I pray this morning as we walk through a few passages here at the beginning of this book, I, I pray that you would change our minds and you would form our minds because of it. You would um, change our hearts, change the way we feel and our affections, and, and I pray you would change the way we live as we leave this place today. And we love you. It's in your son's name we pray. Amen. I want to start our time off with a question. question today. What are you looking to for wisdom right now? What are you looking to for wisdom right now? If you're an elementary kiddo in the room, um, or above, uh, kids in the room, uh, maybe think of it like this, like what, based off of how you behave and how you live your life, kids, where do you get, um, where do you learn how to live? Where do you get that wisdom to live your life? How do you make the decisions you make? I looked up wisdom just in the dictionary, and here's the definition. Wisdom is the quality of having experience, knowledge, and good judgment, semicolon, the quality of being wise. So you have experience, knowledge, and good judgment, and it's just the quality of being wise. That is wisdom. So I'll ask that question again. What are we looking to 
for our wisdom right now. I think all most human beings, I should say, would say that wisdom is an important thing. Even those who are outside the church would say that being a wise person is, is a good thing. But especially for those inside the church, it's important to ask the question, where do we get, where do we get our formation from? How, how are we taking in information? Where, are we, where is our source of our learning in the moment? And in 1 Corinthians, um, you have this newly planted church that was being influenced by the culture. It was being influenced by the culture, not, not unlike our churches wrestle with today, being influenced by the culture that we're in. They, the Corinthians were valuing um, what the world around them was valuing. And at the heart of it, they were getting their wisdom. They were doing most of their learning from the, the influencers in the city. The, the people that, that were marketing the ideas at that time, that's who they were being shaped by rather than getting their wisdom from God found in the gospel. This was the heart of the Corinthians' problem. In Cor- the city of Corinth was a, a, a large city. You can think of it as a cross between, in, in our country, probably Las Vegas and Los Angeles. Large port city, a lot of entertainment. It was on the coast. You had a lot of people coming through the town. It was built on kind of power and achievement, um, really in, intelligent people, beautiful people. This was the city that Corinth was. It was a, a powerful ancient Greek city, and um, in several wars, it kind of, most of it got destroyed, but it was kind of rebuilt by the Romans because they saw it as a strategic location. So you have this city that has its roots in, in kind of the Greek world, but now it's a, it's a power of the Roman Empire. And so this is the city, right? This is the city that Paul was writing his letter to. This is a church that was less than five years old. The majority of the church uh, knew followers of Jesus, still learning how to follow Jesus, and they find themselves in this city that is really pressing against them in a lot of ways. So let's look at the first two verses of this whole book, verses one and two, chapter one. Paul says, Paul called by the will of God to be an apostle of Christ Jesus and our brother Sosthenes to the church of God that is in Corinth, to those sanctified in Christ Jesus, called to be saints together with all those who in every place call upon the name of our Lord Jesus Christ, both their Lord and ours. And uh, one of the most important ideas in all of the book is found in really in verse 2. Paul says, um, to the church of God that is in Corinth, to those sanctified in Christ Jesus, called to be saints. So Paul gives them this label here. Paul is reminding them of their identity by calling them sanctified saints. Now, saint is a word that we don't throw around a lot these days, but when the scripture writers use it, especially Paul in his greetings, he uses this word to describe Christians a lot, but it's just those who have been saved. Those who have been saved, those who are following Jesus, it's not um, kind of this, this, this esteem necessarily role as a saint, it's just followers of Jesus. That's what Paul is referring to here. Now, if we, if we remember, the, the reason Paul is writing this letter to the, to, the, to the church in Corinth here is because of the mess that this church was, an absolute train wreck. Paul has planted this church, he's moved on, he's He's hearing word back from other people that have been to Corinth, that have been in the church, people that he trusts, and they're giving him a list of things that are happening in this church. And it's bothering him, so much so that he writes this letter. And we're going to see 
as the letter moves on, he gets very uh, fatherly. He gets very stern. He, he gives warnings. But he begins the letter with this phrase, really sanctified saints. <clears throat> Some of the things that were going on, you had these, this entitlement issue and kind of these, these little uh, uh, cliques and really a snobbish behavior where um, groups were forming around leaders in the church and basically saying, I follow Apollos, I follow Peter because he's best, and Apollos is a great speaker, I follow him. And, and there was just this disunity, and the church was picking these people who they would want to follow based off of how gifted or based off their status of being leaders. They were trying to associate with these people so they would improve their status in Corinth. Because that was what the city did, right? They were, they were importing values and ideas from the city into the church. And that's what you did in the city of Corinth. You attached yourself to some kind of influencer and you kind of rode their, 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 their wake to get status and some identity of your own. Um, they were divided. They, they were taking each other to court, which we'll see that here in a, in a, in a few weeks. Um, it was a common practice for men in this culture to visit um, the uh, temples with, with prostitutes in them. And they would, they, they, would, uh, they would do things there and give their um, sacrifice to um, the goddesses in that way. There was a temple, uh, temple of Aphrodite was in uh, Corinthians, and this was a popular thing to do at that temple. Um, there was a, a man living in an ancestral relationship with his mother. We're going to talk about that. Um, there was, a, um, there was uh, people getting drunk on the communion elements, on the communion wine. There were people getting drunk while, during communion. Um, the worship was a mess. It was disorderly. They were disrespecting the teachers and preachers. They, they were doubting the resurrection. Like All of this was happening when Paul wrote this letter. And yet he tells them they're sanctified saints. So theologically, what this tells us is saint can't mean someone who um, necessarily is living a, a holy, unblemished life. That's not what it means. Saint has nothing to do, that identity has nothing to do with how we're living. It has nothing to do with our performance. It has nothing to do with our level of holiness at the moment. This idea of saint has everything to do with our association with Jesus, our union with Jesus. He could have said, hey, uh, sanctified sinners. He could have said, hey, really, really young baby Christians who don't get it, who are messing up right now, this is who I'm writing this letter to? No. He says, sanctified saints. But again, that saint has nothing to do with our behavior. Now, it's important that Paul is, is addressing this now at the beginning of the letter because he's going to spend the rest of the letter coming after them for their behavior. He's going to keep reminding them, this is who you are. You're sanctified saints. Why are you living this way? You're sanctified saints. Why are you looking more like the world than you look more like Jesus? Sanctified saints. Why are you um, um, borrowing the values of the world and importing the values of the world into your Christian life instead of living the life that the Bible calls you to live? So he's starting the letter out here with reminding them who they are. You're sanctified saints. You've been saved. Not because you're awesome, because Jesus is awesome. Because of Jesus' work, you are saints. And he, I think, wants them to see that and feel that from the very beginning before he begins to kind of pick them apart in some ways with their, um, how they're uh, behaving, because it's not honoring God. This church was not honoring God at this moment. And we've got to remember, these are young Christians. They're trying to figure things out. They're still trying to learn. They're being influenced by this city. This is who they were. 
Let's look at uh, verse 18 in chapter 1 still. This is going to get into this idea of wisdom. Okay, Paul starts to touch on wisdom, which is really what he's addressing in the first three or four chapters of the book. This is um, kind of this disunity and, and chasing the wisdom of the world instead of the wisdom that comes from God. Verse 18, for the word of the cross is folly, foolishness, you'd say, to those who are perishing, but to us who are being saved it is the power of God. Paul sets up a comparison there. When the gospel's preached or the wisdom of God is heard, you're going you're gonna to take it in one of two ways. You're, gonna, you're either going to think it's foolishness, it's folly, or you're going to embrace it and see it for what it is. It's God's word. It's God's wisdom. It's the gospel. It's true. And so he, again, showing the Corinthians here, when the wisdom is preached, when the gospel is preached, there's only one of two ways to take it. Either you receive it and embrace it, or you think it's foolishness and you disregard it. And then he breaks down the group that is, uh, thinks it's foolishness, or the group who kind of rejects it. He breaks that down into two groups. Verse 22. For Jews demand signs, and Greeks seek wisdom. But we pe- preach Christ crucified, a stumbling block to Jews, and a folly to Gentiles. But to those who are called, or, or followers of Jesus, both Jews and Greeks who came out of those groups, Christ the power of God and the wisdom of God. For the foolishness of God is wiser than men, and the weakness of God is stronger than men. So what he's saying here, Jews demand signs and Greeks seek wisdom. Okay, And he's saying that, that for, for Jews it was a stumbling block. right? It, was, it, was, it, it wasn't the Messiah that they thought would come. That's why it's a stumbling block. They stumbled over this truth. But to the, the Greeks, they were seeking wisdom, and they thought this was foolishness. right? They thought this was foolishness, what they were hearing. And so... The, the point Paul is making here is the gospel is going to be offensive to a lot of people. Like God's wisdom is going to be offensive to a lot of people. Is it our job as we um, live our lives and communicate the gospel and, and talk about Jesus? Is it our job to be winsome? Yes. To be loving? Yes. To um, measure our words carefully? Yes. To be persuasive? Yes. That's our job. Those are all of those things. But at the end of the day, it is still going to be offensive to some people. Okay? Jesus was crucified because of who he said he was. Jesus said, if they, if, if they hate me and they did this to me, what do you think they're going to do to you as my followers? Okay, so we can't live in a world where we want everyone to like us because we're followers of Jesus. Again, we don't, we don't want to be the stumbling block. We don't want to be the reason because our hatred for people to not embrace the gospel. We want the gospel and God's wisdom to be the reason that they don't want to follow God. Like, we don't want to be the stumbling block. We want to love. We want to persuade. We want to live a life that shows off who God is, that models what the Christian looks like. That's, that's our job. Our job is not to offend people. The gospel is going to offend people. And this is what, um, it's offending two Polar opposite groups of people here, the Jews and the Greeks, the Gentiles, right? They're, 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 it's offending both groups. Now, in, in this culture, the Roman culture, it was a meritocracy, which means that you um, kind of had upward mobility. You flourished in the culture by working hard based off your merit. That's where that word comes, meritocracy. Um, public recognition was very important. Your, the success was kind of, of, it was up to you. Based off could be based off your wealth, wealth, your hard work, your intellect, your rhetoric, um, the, the 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 people's inner life and their integrity, their virtue was wasn't as important 
in this culture as achievement and being seen a certain way and climbing the ladder and being thought of as great in the eyes of people and getting wealth. Like those are the things that the culture valued primarily. And so this is, this is how people uh, made it in this culture. And this, so this is the, the culture people are being saved out from. And so the gospel is that it's, it's opposite of that. You don't merit your way into the kingdom of God. It's based solely on Jesus' merit and Jesus' hard work that you're brought into the kingdom of God. Right? This is how this works. This is how this happens. And so this is why the gospel to a Roman world with a bunch of Gentiles in this city, it's going to be offensive. It's going to be even foolishness. Like, why would I lay down my life? Why would I live a life of unselfishness? Like, why would I put other people before myself? Because that flies against everything the, their culture was telling them on how to get ahead. And if we had to be honest, our culture isn't too different than this, too different than that, right? right? The, the, kind of the American dream, the idea of, of, of like the, 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 our, 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 uh, our emphasis on, on being educated and, and having power and, and, and chasing comfort and kind of consuming whatever we can consume to be seen a certain way. Or if we can have this thing, then people may see us this way. And our culture just kind of, it's, it's the current that our culture pushes us in. To be seen as valuable by the culture around us. So I think the question for us, a reflection question, is what do you not want to be known for? Because this was what the, the people hearing this letter, especially the people who weren't Christians, would have said, like, I don't want to be known as, as, a, as a person who's humble. I don't want to be known as a person who puts others before um, myself because that's going to get in the way of what I want to do. That w- this would have been their worst nightmare. The ethics of the kingdom that Jesus was laying out would have been a Roman's worst nightmare because it would have gotten in the way of all of their achievement and upward mobility. So I ask again, what is our worst nightmare? What is that thing that I do not want to be known for blank? And whatever that you put in that blank, is that a value of the kingdom? Is that a, an, an ethic of Jesus, right? And so that's a good reflection question for us that, that I think the Corinthians would have been faced with as Paul was walking through this letter here. Once again, Paul's saying, remember who you are. Remember who you are. Remember how the culture is shaping you and how the culture wants to shape you. You're not like that anymore. You're a new creation. The old is gone. The new has come. You're living in the kingdom of Jesus, not the kingdom of of Caesar, of Rome. And so all of these issues that the Corinthians were facing, um, and even throughout the rest of the book, they they were arrogant. They were prideful. They thought that they merited God's grace. They were, they were so great. Their city was so great. Their, their, their gifts were so great that this is why God had favor on them. This is why God saved them because they were great people. They were talented people. They were wise people. And so that was what enabled them to start looking down on other people. Hey, I'm following Apollos. Well, you're following Peter. You're, you're second class. You know, I'm following Peter. You know what? Peter actually was with Jesus. So he's better than Apollos. So Apollos, he's not as good over here. Well, Apollos is better speaker than Peter. Peter can't, can't talk as good as Apollos can, so I'm going to fall. I mean, it was just, they were, they were basing their identity off of the giftedness of even leaders in the church. This is how, um, how much they were leaning on this idea of merit to save them. 
So for us to truly understand God's wisdom, we have to understand, I think, where we get our wisdom from, right? Like, how are we being, being shaped by the world? Like, is our wisdom based off a biblical worldview? Is it based off the scripture, or is it based off something um, that the culture is telling me um, to gain my wisdom from? And I think a lot of what's going on in the world right now, even in, in, in groups of people and a lot of the polarization in politics and some other areas, is that um, different groups of people have their idea of what the, the, the perfect kingdom looks like. Right? So there's these ethics that each group has, and they're saying, if these things were put in place, or if everyone else kind of agreed with me, this is the kind of kingdom that would come and exist, and it would be great. And, and no matter what side you're on in these things, there are some positive things on the, in these different groups, right? That probably some truth um, that comes from uh, the kingdom of God in all of these groups. But there's still false kingdoms. There's still kingdoms that are built on a human ideology, or they're built on um, a person, or they're built on, on an idea, right? And they're not built on the kingdom of God. One author says, we have a lot of people who want the kingdom, but they don't want to follow a king. Like, they want the kingdom, they want the effects of the kingdom, but they don't really want to pledge allegiance to King Jesus, they want to kind of do what they feel like is right in the moment. Some of those things are good, but some of those things aren't good. But if you're not serving a king, then you're going to just kind of be tossed to and fro from whatever the culture tells us to value in that moment. But if our allegiance is to King Jesus and we see the scripture as the ethic, and this is how we are to live, then we can submit ourselves and our lives freely to the kingdom of Jesus, knowing that the kingdom ethic will come with it. Because if we set up our own kingdoms of what, we, what, what each of us want, um, because we're sinful, all human beings, we're going to, and we're kind of, if we're fighting oppression and we get what we want, because we're sinful people, we, are, we will become the oppressors. Because if you don't agree with the kingdom I'm laying out, you are going to get oppressed by me if I get in power or authority, right? And this is, this is the human kingdoms, right? Only Jesus can set up a kingdom that is perfect, that is benevolent, that is led by a perfect king, a humble king, that is laid out in the scriptures. Things like, these are some, some ethics of the kingdom that I don't think are, are, are embraced in all the talk about, you know, uh, bringing the kingdom to earth. I don't think some of these things are, are addressed. Um, give sacrificially, right? Give sacrificially, which means not just out of your abundance, right? But give, give till it hurts. Give sacrificially. Um, from the Sermon on the Mount, blessed are the peacemakers. Blessed are the peacemakers, for they shall be sons of God. Blessed are the merciful, for they shall, be, for they shall receive mercy. Love your enemy. Okay, love your enemy. And this doesn't just mean loving the people who cheer for a different football team as you. That's not what Jesus is saying here. Jesus is saying, love the people that disagree what you value the most. Whatever you value the most, people disagree with that, that's the person you love. That's the person we are to show love to. Not the person who cheers for the opposing football team, right? This is hard stuff that Jesus calls us to do. This is the way of King Jesus. Now, how do we do this? Here's the way. Paul lays it out. 1 Corinthians um, uh, chapter 1, still verses 26 through 31. So he's reminding them. Now, so you're not, you're not Jews, you're not Greeks. Now you're, you're followers of Jesus. He says, for consider your calling, brothers, and sisters there, it's both. Not many of you were wise according to worldly standards. Not many were powerful. 
Not many were of noble birth. So you guys weren't awesome, right? That's kind of what he's saying. Kind of a, it's, it's a little bit of maybe a, 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 a slap in the face, but what he's, he's trying to humble them. Saying, you guys weren't, a lot of you weren't chosen because of your, of, 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 of have, how powerful you are, or you had noble birth. But God chose what is foolish in the world to shame the wise. God chose what is weak in the world to shame the strong. God chose what is low and despised in the world, even the things that are not, to bring to nothing the things that are, so that no human being might boast in the presence of God. So that's, that's the purpose, right? This is why God set it up the way it is, verse 29, so that no human being might boast in the presence of God. If it was up to us, we would be able to boast. If it was up to how we were born or what we were born into or how smart we were or great decisions we made, we would be able to boast. But this is not, there's no boasting here. Verse 30, and because of him, you are in Christ Jesus, who became to us wisdom from God, righteousness and sanctification and redemption. And that's the gospel right there. That's all of it. He became our righteousness. He sanctifies us. He's our redemption, Jesus is. So that, once again, as it is written, let the one who boasts, boast in the Lord. Don't boast in anything else. God has set this up. God has designed the gospel and the person and work of Jesus in such a way that we would be stripped of our boasting. Which is why is Paul so adamant, like 1 Corinthians, why, why are you prideful? Why are you boasting? There's nothing to boast in, or just boast in Jesus. That's the only thing to boast in. You don't boast in any of these other things that you're boasting in. Now, for me, um, I think um, one thing that I've been ref- in reflecting on, well, what, is, what, are, what are the things that I put out there that I might see as, um, that I might take more pride in? And I think for me, one of the things that um, I struggle to give other people grace in would be... Um, I would, I would call it like, um, like intellectual righteousness or theological righteousness. Like I, I, I want, maybe it's because I'm a teacher and I, I spend a lot of time in the Word. Like I, I want people to know the truth. And I want people, the truth to be precise. And I want people, I want things to make sense. I don't like inconsistencies. I want, I want things to flow um, naturally. And so if, if things seem confused or things seem unclear theologically, that really bothers me. And so I can quickly become self-righteous and have this theological righteousness and probably be um, harsh or even judgmental towards people that maybe aren't um, or don't have that high a view of that area. So it, it, when we make something else primary over the gospel of Jesus, we will look down upon people who don't share the same degree of our righteousness in that area. This changes how we see one another. And this is, comes right back to the unity thing Paul's talking about in this letter. If we don't see the cross rightly, we will think others are worse than we are, and we will begin to see them in, a, in the wrong way. I've shared this list before, um, but it's, um, it's a list out of a, a study called the Gospel Center Life. And they just list some, some, some types of righteousness that... Um, specifically Christians struggle with. I'm just going to read these real quick, and, and hopefully one of these kind of lands in your lap, and you can kind of be like, oh, that, that, that might be me. And as we go into um, communion here in a second, this maybe will give you something to hold on to as we, as we think through these things in communion. So um, you could have a, a job righteousness. I'm a hard worker, so God will reward me. Like, I'm a hard worker. Family righteousness. Because I do things right and I parent right, um, I'm more godly than parents who really can't control their kids. I run a tight ship, 
because that's what the scripture calls me to do. Um, Theological righteousness. I have good theology. God prefers me over those who have bad theology. Intellectual righteousness. I am better read, more articulate, more cultural savvy than others, which obviously makes me superior. Schedule righteousness. I am self-disciplined and rigorous in my time management, which makes me so much more mature than other people. Um, If you're married, don't elbow each other on these, okay? Um, Flexibility righteousness. In a world that is busy, I'm flexible and relaxed. I always make time for others. Shame on those who don't. Mercy righteousness. I care about the poor and the disadvantaged the way everyone else should. Legalistic righteousness. I don't drink or smoke or chew or date girls who do. This is quoting from them. Um, Too many Christians just aren't concerned about holiness these days. Financial righteousness. I manage my money wisely and I stay out of debt. I'm not like those kind of materialistic Christians who can't control their spending. Political righteousness. If you really love God, you'll vote for my candidate. Tolerance righteousness. I am open-minded and charitable towards those who don't agree with me. In fact, I'm a lot like Jesus in that way. Okay, so again, these are some of these are tongue in cheek, but that what what's the thing that's playing internally when you think about these things? Again, are you boasting in Jesus only, or are you boasting in in one of these things? Most of these things are really good. These things are good to value, but when you make them ultimate, when you put them above Jesus, you will look down. You can't help it. You will look down on other people who don't share that form of righteousness that you have. And that creates disunity. And this is the heartbeat of what Paul is talking about and trying to address in at least the first part of 1 Corinthians. Um, One um, author said it like this, we tend to demonize the opposite group of people or of the thing that we idolize. So if we idolize this and we hold this dear, if you disagree with that idol or or you see differently than me, then I'm going to demonize you. I'm going to make you the evil people because I'm holding this idol so close. So what are those things for us? You just be honest with yourself. What do you hold dearly? What do you hold closer than than you do Jesus to what you feel and and deep in your heart? Now, for the rest of the book to close going to give us kind of a launching off point for next week. The rest of the book, Paul is going to say some really hard things to this church. So he sets it up again at the beginning here. He, he encourages them who they are, and then he goes to the root of you have to get your wisdom from the word, from, 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 the, the, from God, from the gospel, because all of these other things that come up, you're going to have to have biblical wisdom to be able to address issues of sexuality, issues of uh, worship, issues of communion, issues of the resurrection. If we're going to talk about those things Paul is saying, we have to get our wisdom from the Scriptures. And I want to uh, finish with this passage. This is Paul's model for us. Paul's model for us. So he's, he, is, uh, he even says in another book, like, I, I'm, I'm, I'm a really smart guy, right? Like, I, I was a, I was a, the, a top um, Jewish student in the Judaism faith, right? He, he lays out his resume at one point and says, if anybody could boast, I could boast, Right? But Paul is matured enough, he's grown enough, and this is what he says, and, and I pray this would be us, that we would be shaped by the scriptures, and this is the kind of person we would be. And I was with you in weakness, and in fear and much trembling. And my speech and my message were not implausible words of wisdom, not borrowing from the wisdom of, of the culture, but in demonstration of the spirit and power. He was controlled by the spirit and the Spirit is what led him to use his gifts the way he did. Verse 5, so that your faith might not rest in the wisdom of men, so you wouldn't think I'm awesome, he's saying, but you would think that God is awesome. 
that, that I wouldn't boast in what I do and how gifted I am, but you would see God in me working and give praise and honor to him. So that's my prayer. Um, that's the people I pray we would be uh, moving forward. Let's pray. Father, I, I um, pray as we move into time of communion and have some reflection, I pray that we would be honest. Paul is, 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 is um, kind of targeting the Jew and the, and the Greek here in this passage on um, what they hold dear, what they look to for, for value, where they go for their wisdom. I pray that you would help us be a people who are shaped by your word, that are shaped by the gospel, are shaped by the spirit, so that we might be people who don't boast in ourselves or in our church or even in our family, that we would, but we would boast in Jesus because he's the hero. He's the one that gave us life. He's the one that lived a perfect life that we couldn't live. He's the one that died a death that we deserved. He's the one that conquered sin, Satan, and death and rose from the dead and is alive today. And we can trust that he is Lord and Savior because of that. He is the one that deserves our boasting, not us. But help us. We are all prone to boasting. We are all prone to taking things that we hold dear and elevating them to the ultimate standard, which is the place that only you deserve, Jesus. Help us. It's in your son's name we pray. Amen.